You're listening to Sarah Hagen backstage with interviews and insights from years inside the music industry. Join Sarah as she talks with masters of their crafts, finding out what makes them tick both inside and outside of the music business. Welcome to Sarah Hagen backstage. My guest today, Adam Topol, is best known as the drummer for Jack Johnson, but he's also created some amazing music on his own as a singer, songwriter, and guitar player, and as a percussionist. We are going to dive into how the past two years have been for Adam, what he's been up to, and what he has going for the future, which is great. So come along with me as I catch up with Adam Topol. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Hey, what's up? Greetings from Venice Beach, California. Oh, I'm a little bit jealous that you're in Venice Beach, California right now, while I am in the snow of New England. But <laughs> I, I've, I've been there. I've been there and I've done that. Yeah. Absolutely. During my time in Berkeley. I remember yes. the ice mountains for the sure. Out- yes, the ice mountains. Yes. In the street, um, you know, with the Dunkin' Donuts cup <laughs> sort of embedded in them in the, in the car exhaust. It was... It's very romantic. Remi- <laughs> reminds actually, me of Mass Ave. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a perfect image. Like, yeah, that that sums it up about that's that happens about the end of February, like beginning of March, where the snow's been around for a while and it gets, you know, gets a little little car exhaust on it. And um, yeah, you find the Dunkin' Donuts cups and that's hysterical because I pretty much we could find a picture of Boston with, with some, you know, snow banks and, um, in it, but so, you know, you know all about it, but yeah. Um, how soft. have you been though? I want to hear about you and what you've been up to over the past couple of years. Oh man. I don't even know where to start. I mean, I'm sure like every one of your podcasts can't, you just can't avoid the subject of, of, just what's up with the world and with COVID and stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. every single conversation you get into, it leads back into this environment and and how it's affected the spirit, how it's affected people professionally, their family lives on a Mm -hmm. soul level. I mean, I just thought my generation, we just avoided everything. There was, you know, we'd have to go, there was no draft. There's no nothing, no major upheaval. I'm like, we just skated through everything. If you study history, so many previous generations had to deal with a heavy weight. And we've had some stuff, don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. man, the last two years have just been wild. I mean, both in kind of painful, tragic ways and in kind of beautiful ways, I'd suppose. And I never thought I'd experience this this level of of, of upheaval and change you know, both socially, spiritually, and a health level, politically, it's been, it's been a trip. It, mm-hmm. It's been a total trip. Like, I'm just thinking back. So living in Venice Beach, there's a certain environment here where, you know, you just walk around, you walk down a street called Abbot Kinney, and there's all these shop, coffee shops, mm-hmm. designer pizza, hipster clothes man buns or whatever the latest fashion (laughs) trend is and then you go down to venice beach and it's you know it's classic you've got the basketball courts you've got the venice breakwater where people surf you've got the handball courts and it's it's just a specific way of life people come Mm -hmm. down here to, to see like the california experience boom pandemic hits it's empty 
people are freaking out. You know, the 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 supermarkets are are being rushed. People are have bought up all the food. Mm-hmm. You know, shopping carts filled with stuff that people would normally not buy, like lima, be- crazy, crazy stuff. We're all a little bit worried. Then we have <clears throat> tragic political upheaval mm-hmm. that all these shops this sort of carefree LA sort of lifestyle, all of a sudden I have photos underneath the Venice sign, the classic Venice beach sign in the windward circle. And there's a line of riot police. Mm. This is when all the riots happened, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was almost like one of those old clash record covers, you know, it's just like a, like a police brigade in front of the Venice beach sign. And all the shops boarded up, you know, you have riots that happened a mile away in Santa Monica where helicopters and smoke coming up. Um, Things like this obviously really affect your spirit. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I just remember like, since we connected on symbols, I remember having an old symbol propped up to my door in Venice because we don't have like an alarm. So I thought, well, somebody breaks in, at least the symbol's gonna fall and it'll warn us, you know, like, Mm -hmm. it was just kind of weird. It was. It was frightening. It was disheartening. And then getting, and then, and then having, having the forum of like reasoning why it's all happening and where's, what's right and what's wrong and who do we believe? And then going into the news and and getting all your information from different news sources and places where you don't necessarily know where they're coming from and what their agenda is. And, And I know, I've listened to some of the other great drummers on this and they were talking about music and I don't think they politicize things so much and I don't want to either necessarily, but it took a toll on my spirit. All of it did because, you know, it's just, uh, you know, I have so many different friends from so many different backgrounds and uh, it was sometimes really challenging for all of us to to come to some kind of like neutral place and it seemed mm-hmm. to affect everything it affected the thanksgiving dinner table yes. it affected discussions it affected posts you'd read and so all of these things can have a effect on your art and on your creative output on your outlook on your desire to get out there and share this music you know and collaborate and but it wound up being music wound up being the safe place for me, the place of like, um, you know, I'm, I'm talking to you from this little studio, it's a back house and, and uh, I have a little Pro Tools thing set up here, a couple of preamps, a ton of drums, a ton of percussion. And I'm just so glad I have music because that's always been this medium that's, that's helped me just go out in the world and, and connect with people. Mm-hmm who everybody thinks a little bit differently. We don't ever have to talk about that stuff. We have this thing that we collaborate and we, we deal with and it's, Mm -hmm. um, and that you can share and give to people that, that hopefully supersedes any kind of trauma and brightens people. And so I kind of, I sort of wound up clinging to music as my safe place, as my place of joy, as Mm -hmm. as an escape, because, all this other stuff was, was really hard for me. I won't lie, man. It was like so, it was probably the toughest time of my life, spiritually speaking, you know? Yes, I understand that 
A hundred percent. And I, I think that continuing to see what's happening in the world, um, you know, what humans are capable of, and it's, it's really, really tough. It's tough to be in this time, um, find the, the means to, to be creative and kind of move forward, I think. Um, and then there's a lot of question about content, you know, posting content while things are happening in the world. And um, I've been encouraging everyone that I talk to to keep posting, keep creating, because that's what is getting so many people through all of this and, and giving hope because, um, like you said, you know, music was your safe space. That was what mm -hmm. you went to and held on to. And I think that, like you said, it's a it's a um, unifier. You know, mm -hmm. you could be you could be in the audience at a concert with people from every different walk of life and political viewpoint and, you know, everywhere, all of that. And there's something there that just pulls you all together because you're there to experience this beautiful, you know, music, this this beautiful act. And yep. and that is so unifying. So I just keep encouraging you know, keep playing, keep posting, keep sharing, because that's, that's what we all need right now. And, yep. um, you know, as well as world leaders who are leading in, in, a, <laughs> in, a, in a good way, that's what we need to. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, but it, I, but I do think, you know, you, you were saying like, not to, not to get too much into politics, but it is affecting music. It is affecting mm -hmm. what we all do. We talked a little bit before um, pressing record today about just how much things have changed, how mm -hmm. our lives have changed, how our perspectives have, have changed. And um, and a lot of it has been really tough. And a lot of it has been for the better in in some ways with the new perspectives. But it's it's been really hard. Um, yeah. But I well, love. What... I, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you. I was just going to say, I love that you have that space and you're able to do what you love and create. And you had mentioned that you're doing some some new things now, um, mm -hmm. which I really want to hear about. Well, you know, it was man. I remember, too, when this I'll, I'll get. I'll, yeah, we'll go there. I just remember what you were saying um, about how the the music thing we're kind of lucky we can sidestep all all the weirdness i the few times i would get out and play at the beginning of the pandemic outdoor gigs mm -hmm. we'd get together with some friends and we'd play for people and whereas before you just be music and we've all gigged in an area where like people are there to eat or people are there to socialize mm -hmm. and the music they're enjoying it but that's sort of the background it could be a record on it could not be, but I remember getting out and playing at the beginning and everybody who normally would have probably not been engaged, got up and danced, you mm. know? Mm -hmm. And I, and I was like, and it wasn't like an insincere gesture. They just seeing people playing music, they just loved it and they, they needed it. And it restored my, my faith and just getting out there and playing live. You know, I've always felt like, um, you got to bring music out to the people. I've, you know, I've toured a lot, not as much as some, but I mean, 
I've been open to touring in all types of situations, whether it's on a bus in a very well-maintained professional touring environment or sprinter van, sleep on the kitchen floor, you mm -hmm. know, double up in the hotels or just load your car up with drums and go play at a tavern with some good musicians and see who's into it. I've always been into bringing music out to the people, you know, mm -hmm. and one of the biggest challenges is getting people engaged, you know, yeah. and with music content being free, ubiquitous, you know, I, I was starting to feel like in so many cases, people took for granted a song. People would take for granted a pe bunch of people playing with actual instruments, you know, it's a thing of yeah. just like, it's kind of a dime a dozen. Oh yeah, that they're doing that again, you know, especially in Los Angeles where people, it's an industry town and it's, if you do a gig, you've got to really work to get people to show up. And sometimes I'd just be like, oh, what's the point, you know, gosh, you know, but then with this thing, one of the positives is like getting out there and playing, you would see a lot of people really giving you a feedback. Like we're into this. Thank you for showing up and playing. And so it, it kind of restored my faith in, in humans grabbing instruments and playing music in front of other humans and having them be into mm. it as opposed to just sort of, you know, fighting to, to get people engaged. Again, like I say, with YouTube, with, with all these platforms that have so much music, just here you go, here it is, mm -hmm. it's free. You know, I feel like that's been a beautiful thing, but it was also, it's also, in a way you've had to fight to show people that what you do is, is valuable, you know, Absolutely. it's human nature. Yeah. You know, back yeah. in the day, you, a cassette tape, you'd have to buy or an LP or a cassette or a CD, 1199. Yes. You know, 1599, 899. If, and you could, you didn't even know if that record was good or bad, but you were going to risk, you know, if you had some job, maybe two hours worth of wages to buy that cassette tape. And that was hopefully good. Like it was, yes. a, it was a commitment, it's you know, so now, you know, and it's such an age old thing. Whereas now, if I want to know, if I want to know, if I want to know about little Richard, I'll get on Spotify. I'll hear everything or YouTube. I'll hear everything that little Richard did. You know, right. I don't have to go dig around. If I want to know about Mo Tucker from velvet underground, it's not like I have to dig around in a bunch of record stacks and kind of research. I just open up YouTube and find the best documentary on Motuck. So right in my house. And so how do I value that content? And and how do I expect other people not to take a, just a band setting up and playing for granted? And so mm -hmm. one thing that this has done is that I feel like people are more value it a little bit more because, you know, mm -hmm. they've had to go without it maybe. So, yeah, that is, that's an amazing point. And I hadn't really thought about it that way. It makes a ton of sense. And I can totally attest to feeling that um, maybe having haven't taken live music for granted for just that it would always be there, that mm -hmm. I could always go to, to Boston any given night and see a show um, and to have it gone and, and taken away and realize how important it was. I think that's that's a big lesson. You're so right. I think I think people are as things are coming back are just so excited um, yep. to get back out there. And and so 
appreciative. And mm -hmm. I do always say that like, you know, kids these days, they don't know <laughs> what we went through yeah. to get music and to experience music because mm -hmm. yeah, we used to wait in line at midnight for the release of, you know, whatever album was yep. coming out. Like that's what we yep. did. And, yeah. and also like concert tickets, you would wait, mm -hmm. you would have to go and wait in line and be there. Um, people would just wait in line, like overnight for concert tickets. And it's just, it's so funny. Everything is so much more accessible now, but um, yeah, there was like, and then there was a restriction of access. I know we're going way back and this is a discussion that probably everybody has, but I got into music, honestly, from the perspective of a fan. Like I just, in my case, it was like, I was a little guy and it was like kiss a hundred percent. Like mm -hmm. those dudes are wearing makeup and splitting, spitting blood. That's the best thing ever, you know, but you'd only get information about music. You liked it went on to be the Beatles and stuff like that, but mm -hmm. you just have to read a record cover and read a couple of things that a publicist would say about a band, a couple of these magazines, you'd get like stories and stuff, but you wouldn't have access. Yes. And now with these podcasts, with with all this stuff, I could probably see an iconic person. In my case, it's a musician that I that I usually get interested in. It could be a writer, an actor, and I will not have to go up and ask him a bunch of dumb questions if they'd even let me. I could just nod my head because people are really generous about opening up about their lives. Granted, there's no more mystique or whatever, but mm -hmm. I feel like from the fan perspective on so many different interesting people with these podcasts and with these memoirs that are that are coming out i don't have to have to ask anybody any any stupid question risk asking anyone any question so how did you get into singing and you know i'm never right, gonna have right. to ask that again because there's incredible content out there where people are revealing their their lives and it's i like it a lot of times maybe you know maybe some people don't but that's been one of the things during the last two years that have really sustained me. I think a lot of really, in, like, I just, I didn't listen to Sabbath or Ozzy that much, but I read his book. Mm -hmm. and the guy's interesting. I couldn't stop reading about his, his adventures in Birmingham and working at a slaughterhouse. And it goes for Willie Nelson. It goes yes. for Patti Smith. It goes for yeah. Johnny Marr. It goes for Miles Davis. Any Willie, all these people are talking about their lives, either if it's on a podcast or not. So mm -hmm. within the last two years, what you're doing really ties into, I think, giving the the arts another dimension. It's letting us get to know artists even deeper. And I personally like that. Some people don't. They like the mm -hmm. mystique or it can certainly backfire on you, as we've seen I'm in sure, so many sure, cases yes. with public personalities. Um, but as a fan, and again, you know, I think you've talked to drummers a lot. Like for me, I, I didn't really play an instrument for the longest time. And I think playing a harmonic instrument, a piano, guitar, trumpet, whatever, you've got to learn a lot of theory and it gets mm -hmm. really analytical in many cases. And I think drumming was a way for me to sidestep that. I found all that stuff really daunting, but I mm -hmm. wanted to get inside the music and drumming, you know, help me step in the middle of it even quicker, I think. Right. I mean, to get, yeah, to get the, 
I think to get really expressive on drums, you, you find out you have to study just as hard as a cellist or a violinist. But initially in that, in that garage band phase, you know, there's a couple of beats that if you can get, you're in, you know? Yes, absolutely. And, yeah. yeah. And, sometimes and, it, it seems like a more like accessible instrument. And then, and then you, and then you get into it and realize how involved it really is. Right. But absolutely. Um, but absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. And, you know, you not only, of course, you know, you're well known for playing drums with Jack Johnson, of course. Um, but you play many instruments. You sing. Mm -hmm. I remember mm -hmm. the first album that you sent me with you singing. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe it was, and I'm you're going to have to tell me the exact name of the album, but it was um, Blue Painted Walls. In Blue Painted Walls was a was that was actually um, mostly instrumental. There was a vocal song by um, a really beautiful bossa nova singer, uh, Marcelli. So there was a vocal thing there, okay. and we actually did a, a somewhat of we collaborated on a film production where I played some stuff off that, but. I did Got two that. records that were more maybe indie, I guess you call it indie folk or whatever. One called Regardless of the Dark and one called Quando. And yeah, I think it was Regardless of the Dark then, but I do yeah. remember Blue Painted Walls. Maybe I'm thinking Blue Painted Walls was the was maybe the first album that you sent me where it was like your album that I yeah. got to hear. Um, yeah. But when I did hear you singing, though, um, I was just like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea. This is so amazing. <laughs> you know? yeah. I think it's a good thing to do for. Well, I don't want to say for all. I don't want to sound like you should sing or whatever, because <laughs> I don't mean it. It was a good thing for me to do. What what mm -hmm. happens to me is that I work for some really great artists mm -hmm. and I like it. I like it. Um, but it's. You, I lose a sense of reference where I feel like the person that sings and writes the song is is the focal point of, of so many different productions. I don't mm -hmm. mind it, but it was really good for me to 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 sit down and and reaffirm the why I wanted to be a drummer and mm -hmm. why I wanted that chair. You know, I for the longest time I thought like, you know. I'm here because this is what I do. And and the singing thing and the and the composition thing is not is not what I do. When I went to Berkeley, they wanted me to play mallets. And I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm just a drum set player. That's all I do. And so I didn't do that much mallets. I didn't do that much piano or theory because I just sort of hung out in the drum rooms more. Mm -hmm. And I just sort of accepted like this is sort of my course. And and I think there were times where I had ideas about music too, and I wanted to feel heard. But then I realized like, oh, wait a minute, this stuff is hard. You know, if I'm gonna stay as a drummer, I wanna tell myself I'm here because I wanna be, not because I can't do anything else. Mm -hmm. And and I think writing songs for me was a really, reaffirmed the fact that I can write songs and I can sing and I can, I can, I can craft a, a cool song, but at the end of the day, I still want to play the drums. I still want to be where I'm at. And I think it helped me doing a couple of records where I grabbed a guitar and I 
gave some lyrics, some serious thought. Number one, it made me really appreciate the artists that I work for, people that can mm -hmm. write a song more than I did before, you know? There's always gonna, if you work for enough artists, as cool as they are and as great as they are, there might eventually be a little bit of eye rolling, you know, in terms of, I mean, let's be honest, a drum beat is not something that that is publishable per se. Mm -hmm. You know, I saw a clinic with Greg Bissonette and he sat there, it was really funny. He played like seven iconic beats that everybody mm -hmm. knew, you know, mm -hmm. I think he did Sing, Sing, Sing and he did, I, I forget all the beats. You know, he might have done a James Brown beat. And he said, who did this beat? And everybody knew. And he said, did the drummer who wrote this beat get any songwriting credit? And nope. And none of them. It was the, it was the artist, yet the beat defined the song. So I think yeah. we deal with um, that natural reality with within what, what popular music would term as like... Um, what what is writing what is composition you know and it's usually melody and words it's focused on that so i found myself at odds with that concept not so much with what i was doing specifically it's just the notion of it sometimes mm -hmm. and um i think writing songs and doing records that didn't have much to do with drumming with lyrics helped me come to terms with it a little bit you know Mm -hmm. I suppose because it, it 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 brought me back to the fact that that's what I love doing the most is getting inside of a song and 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 making it feel a certain way and supporting something that somebody's written, you know, rather than being at odds with it. Mm -hmm. I picked up a guitar, a keyboard and I wrote some stuff and enjoyed the process too. But at the end of the day, what I'd rather do is be playing drums. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, yeah. And it it just affirmed that for you. And mm -hmm. I think it's um you know, learning and embracing the the thought of being that person for someone else, you know, being the drummer who maybe is coming up with parts that are incredibly significant and make the song what it is, but mm -hmm. embracing the fact that you're supporting this other artist. I think that's a that's a huge thing. And the, the ability to do that is talent in itself um you know which is why a lot of the people that that i've um interviewed on this podcast are in that same um you know category of, of really really fantastic players who are able to just lend themselves to the music in a way that makes it something even more significant which yeah i just think it's it's just, it, that's a big deal in itself, for sure. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, you look at an, like a community, the whole community shows up and helps a family build a house, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> that's kind of what I like doing for my friends that write songs. I'll show up. Let's make it sound great. How can I help, mm -hmm. you know? Yes. Sometimes they'll want me to do drum set, which is my first choice. Sometimes mm -hmm. I'll get a track with a, with a great drummer playing something I never would have thought of. I just did something like that. My friend, Danny, Danny Garcia, he's got a project called Reverend Baron. One of my favorite sort of indie folk kind of guys. He just sent me a track. <clears throat> Whoever the drummer was, did something perfect. It was perfect. And mm -hmm. he wanted me to play congas on it. And it was really fun. 
just trying to find a way to complement what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And and here's the beautiful thing about me working with so many great artists, you know, is that when I decided to do my own stuff, they showed up for me, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. so it, 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 it turned it into something where just people, people gather to help each other. Yeah, and virtually everybody I've worked for, you know, like with the regardless of the dark record, mm-hmm. you know, I've done work with Mason Jennings, who's one of my favorite singer songwriters around ever, mm-hmm. really. He helped make that record beautiful. I did regardless of the dark, which is the um, on also on ever loving records, Matt Costa, another one of my favorite artists showed up and produced the record and made it sound beautiful. I did Culver City Dub Collective. Jack Johnson did one of my favorite songs on the whole production. He and Paula Fuga sang, and it's a beautiful song, and we played it live. So those people showed up for me. Mm-hmm. So whenever they call me, I'm there to support them however I can. You Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and that really flipped the perspective. So I think doing my own art kind of brought it into that light rather than me feeling like, ah, God, I, I don't want to be a side guy. You know, I want to mm-hmm. be, I want to be in the Beatles. I want to be Ringo or whatever. Yes. <laughs> it flipped the perspective to like, man, I'm going to help these people. They're my friends. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to show up in whatever way they need me and they do the same for me. And so it's worked out, but, but being, yeah, but again, I've repeated myself. Creating creating my own content sort of cemented that perspective. And it's helped me not be jaded and it's helped me be really enthusiastic and, and be happy about showing up, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, and it, it is in the perspective too. Like you embracing that community aspect, knowing that you're part of this, you know, you're not you're not a you're not a side man. You are like part of this community and they're part of your community. And I think that's you know, that's the best way to uh, to think about it, because it's this industry is it relies on that. Um, mm-hmm. And it um, I think we've seen an incredible example of the industry holding each other up, coming together for each other, being there for each other over the past two years. Just the organizations mm-hmm. that have popped up, the support of um, stagehands and um you know, club owners and workers and all the people who were out of work during mm-hmm. this time. I just think it's just, it is just extends so far um, yeah. through the community of this industry. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really been telling in terms of people, just the basic reptilian human nature of people. Mm-hmm. This It's really, it's telling in terms Absolutely. of what people yeah. are really about. And I've been, more often than not, pleasantly surprised. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I know. It's not yeah. always easy, but. Um, yeah. It, one Music of the industry things- can be really difficult. It can be really impersonal. It can it can be soul crushing, uh, you know. Yeah. But at the yeah. same time, the values greatly outweigh the challenges. But it, it again, it goes back to perspective. Right. You know. It, yeah. it, it goes back to the perspective. It's, it goes back to what I'm choosing to value, you know, mm-hmm. um, living in Los Angeles. There's, you know, we talked about New England versus Los Angeles. 
living in Los Angeles, it's so easy to to swerve into viewing success versus failure creatively in terms of like um, what I might see on Instagram or what you might read in a newspaper or what you might see someone wearing or driving or where they might be living. You know, how do I gauge my own success or self-worth? You know, you get, you stay in LA too long and you just start to, you could feel frustrated in mm-hmm. some ways, you know, why does that person have this, you know, why is this happening or should I, even, you know, should I even be doing this? You know, mm-hmm. what is this all about? And so again, having to constantly find ways to, to just be so psyched, like I get to play the drums, mm-hmm. you know, I right. show, I, I'm doing this gig and I'm doing this gig in Whittier. Um, Whittier, you guys don't know Whittier, but unless you're from LA and then you know Whittier, if you live in Venice Beach and you drive to Whittier, it's an hour and 15 minutes in freeway, LA freeway traffic, which is its mm-hmm. own challenging minefield. It's showing up at a tavern and playing in Whittier. Why would I drive all that way? Okay, a hundred bucks. I got a hundred bucks to play drums in college long ago it's still a hundred bucks you know why would i do it well the players are incredible i'm connecting with a whole other side of life mm-hmm. um people that i've you know i can observe the weird events in a tavern from the perspective of a drum throne it's the best place in town for for two or three hours i can kind of watch what people are doing i can play i can connect with people that to me can be just as valuable as any performance experience in the world, you know? So again, it's yeah. perspective. It's not like, ugh, I don't want to drive all that way. I don't want to carry my drums up the back stairs of a, of a place. I don't want to do this to all of a sudden, like, this is an adventure, you know? Mm-hmm. These incredible musicians are letting me play cumbias in Whittier in front of these new crop of people. They're going to feed me and give me a little bit of money. That's a gift. Yeah, You know, that is a total gift. If you look at it from the wrong perspective, uh, God, do I have to drive all this way? Can't, you know, can't it be a little bit more rewarding? Mm-hmm. Why do I have to carry my stuff? Nah, I, 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 I view it as an entirely different experience for me, you know? Yeah, man, that is so, that is so insightful. And I feel like, you know, I'm always um, thinking of the phrase, <clears throat> excuse me, the phrase choose happiness because I really, really think that it is a perspective, you know, happiness is a, a choice. Obviously, life stuff happens, can affect us all. Um, it's not always easy to choose to be happy. But I think about that, you know, what you said about comparing to other people and thinking about, well, they're doing this and why don't I get to do that? Or how come this didn't happen for me? Or that kind of thing. But then I remind myself, um, you know, we have no idea what that person's reality really is. What, you know, that that person might drive the most fantastic car that's our dream car. But they might, you know, have a really terrible life. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you can't compare because you just don't don't know. You just don't know, you know. And sometimes, and we can talk about suffering, like we've seen over the last two years, like, me being a person in recovery, I know you're supposed to keep it anonymous, but like I'm very active in, in the whole recovery scene. Mm-hmm. And 
and and especially with the Zoom platforms and 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 people continuing to maintain sobriety on different levels, mm-hmm. I've seen some really tragic things happen. Struggling like this has been hard. We've been depressed. You know, it's mm-hmm. been it's been singularly the most difficult spiritual time of my life. You know, mm-hmm. how do you find meaning? And sometimes I find meaning with people with the carrying the biggest weight on their shoulders managing to find ways to get through it. And and we all have to have that, that place in the meaning. And sometimes people that seemingly have every, everything um, carry a weight that we couldn't even imagine, you know, and sometimes people that whose circumstances are so difficult, horrible, find ways to, to find meaning, you know, yeah, I've had to read back to, to some Elie Wiesel, like, cause suffering, man, like, you know, I'll get mm-hmm. really down and then I'll think about people that have that are going through various that have survived various holocausts. It's horrible things that you couldn't even imagine and, and finding spiritual meaning there. So mm-hmm. why can't I? So back to the music thing. I mean, I'm going to I'm really looking forward to getting back on the road with Jack. We've got tour dates and stuff that should be fun. But at the same time, I also play Afro-Cuban music and I've been doing these spiritual events for, you know, playing some really incredible rhythms in a religious context where mm-hmm. I'm definitely the outsider there. No one, no one cares about drum set or nose, but, but man, I'm being allowed into a really special circle of people, you know, finding mm-hmm. meaning there, you know, when there's, when, when the world that I'm used to is, has been sort of obliterated, you know, music right. has been that medium. If I'm willing to, to, to be humble and to learn from other people and to participate I can find places to go, you know? Absolutely. Yes. And, and you're so grateful for that, which is, that's the important thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of Afro-Cuban music too, I wanted to ask you about that because I know that you have a deep connection with Latin grooves and um, mm-hmm. with percussion and everything. And how did you get into that? Um, that's my first question. And then I was curious if you've ever been to Cuba. Yeah. Um, I remember back at Berkeley, Ed Uribe was our teacher and he was just Mm -hmm. an incredible Latin drum set player. And what tended to happen for me for, because I'm not a, yeah, I I can read and I can play technical stuff, but I was never drawn to being the type of drummer who, who does a lot of subdivisions and a lot of outwardly complex stuff. It just wasn't the way I rolled. I came up listening to the clash and specials and Bob Marley and, and even Cat Stevens, even simpler stuff is what initially pulled me into music. And so me going into Berkeley, secretly liking, you know, Black Flag or whatever, but I wanted to learn about jazz, Mm -hmm. but I remember hearing Ed Uribe play in this Latin lab and he was putting all these instruments, all these different parts onto a drum set. And it, it wound up sounding to me, overwhelming. It kind of overwhelmed me. I, I liked it, and he's he was an, is an incredible drummer, but I had no clue of what was going on, and I had no cultural concept to it. And so for me, it just sounded so busy. I couldn't. I just didn't want to even tackle it because there was no meaning behind it. I could put a meaning behind certain beats where I where I knew the song and I knew the culture, and mm-hmm. so I just thought, well, okay. 
I'm not a conga player. It's back to the thing of like, I'm just a drum set player. I'm not a right, percussionist. Right. They do different things. And it was very tribal. But I thought, okay, I'm going to get into this thing called rumba, which is not with an H, you know. It's mm-hmm. it's just a basic rhythm, street rhythm that they do all over the world. But really, I think it came from, from Cuba and maybe arguably from Matanzas. I don't know. The historians will put me in check. But... I went and saw this group called Los Muñequitos de Matanzas in, in Boston, and there was no harmonic instruments. They were singing in Spanish and in Yoruba, and it was drummers and vocalists, and I'd never seen anything like that. And I could hear the phrasing that that they would play in these Latin labs and stuff, but it was done in such a root, it, it's such a roots kind of deep way. Mm-hmm. I thought, I'll at least learn the basic parts. And then you kind of learn the basic parts, but then you realize even to know the basic parts, you have to have a, a reasonable amount of technique on, on the congas. You know, I think it all from from what I'm told that a lot of that stuff came from rumba and from the Afro-Cuban stuff. So then I took a two week course and went to Cuba at the Escuela Nacional de Arte. I think a lot of great drummers that are now here that expatriated Daphne Prieto, a lot of those people went to the ANA. It might have even been there the first time I went. Wow. And it was just mind-blowing, you know, um, that whole world. And for me, learning it meant maybe even learning to speak a little bit of Spanish because the best teachers were Spanish-speaking. And I could finally put a lot of the stuff that people were trying to show me in a cultural context. Mm-hmm. Why you would play this certain clave, why you would play this certain rhythm, I used to just call it all Latin music, but then some. But then I realized, well, this is from Peru, and this is from Colombia, and this is from Brazil, you know, mm-hmm. and this is Argentina, and this is Puerto Rican, and this is Cuban, and then it opened up like the whole world to me. And then, you know, I slowly wanted to learn a little bit more, and then I got into bata drumming, and then that's that's a whole rabbit hole, and so you kind of get it's still just a side thing for me. I don't, you know, I wouldn't call myself a professional folkloric musician by any stretch, but it's certainly been a refuge. If I don't want to think about any music industry stuff, if I don't want to think about any kind of social media or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever this commercial music scene is or is not when it burns me, when it burns me out and when it bums me out, Nobody, I find a place that where the music feels really deep to me and nobody cares about that stuff. It's not a, it's not a concern. It's, it's about knowledge and experience and tradition. And I, so I love it. So I've been going and playing some of these ceremonies and functions. I'm not, um, I don't have my hands washed. I'm not in the religion. I respect it profoundly, but in mm-hmm. the places that I can go, I do. And I play it with, with, with people that, that teach me and let me in. So it's super cool. You know, I love that. That's that's amazing. And I do. I totally understand the rabbit hole that you can go down when you delve into where things came from, originated, Mm -hmm. where, you know, the the variations on um, Latin technique. It's just it's incredible to me. And um, I hope to get to Cuba someday because. Yeah. One of my favorite. Absolutely. Favorite music. Um, And I also. I needed to ask you too about um, playing music with a purpose, you know, with a, with a message, because 
I've been to see you many times playing with Jack Johnson. Um, there's always the underlying theme of conservation and, mm -hmm. you know, saving the oceans. I remember it was a few years back, but the, the stage had literal trash that had been taken from the ocean mm -hmm. repurposed into mm -hmm. um, stage dressing. It was beautiful um, yep. and so sad at the same time, yep. recognizing where that had come from. But um, yeah. I feel like, I mean, when I, I'm really serious about that as well. So when I attend a show like that, it's just like so meaningful. And I just wonder like making music and playing music like that. Um, it seems like a passion of yours too. It is, it is. And you, you can't help it. Um, <clears throat> that was initially that, I mean, the environmental bent was, was certainly something that Jack educational environmental was certainly something that, that he gravitated towards naturally. And, uh, I thoroughly back it. I backed it from the get-go. It was really surprising to me too, because I did not know that about him, but I do remember we were doing the Curious George record mm -hmm. and he wound up doing music that was, that was aimed at, at kids. And I think with so many other artists, they were trying to like, how do I say it? All right. We would sit around and listen to music and we'd be listening to, to, to Bowie and Radiohead and a lot of really heady things and a lot of really interesting cutting edge people. And I was really struck in a good way, in a good way by how he started writing songs for kids, things that had an educational bent or an environmental bent. So, so a person that definitely put a premium on things that seemed like objectively speaking would, would be cutting edge, creative, artistic, I think it was really brave for somebody that could have gone any way in their career to, to put an emphasis on environmental concerns and educational concerns where we were doing songs reduced. We'd be listening to Fugazi or Radiohead or I tried to get him into Ornette Coleman and really interesting stuff, but he would write a song, reduce, reuse, recycle, mm -hmm. you know, on mm -hmm. a record. I'd be like, that's cool. Like, there's a this isn't a look i'm not criticizing any musical content but i mean there's such a premium on glamour fame external mm -hmm. things it just it just inherently goes with that that tier of music and it was really refreshing to me to see somebody who sort of put put their heart out there on that level it was truly punk rock in my opinion you know or whatever yeah. it was i really liked that and i think we'd sit around and talk and he'd say you know i just got with a guy we sailed out so far in the middle of the ocean that we couldn't see land and we tested the water and found plastic sub particles in the in the in the deepest part of the ocean we could get to you mm -hmm. know i never knew about that you know all of a sudden yeah. me who was more thinking about drumming and music is is kind of having his eyes opened and then i would check out a lot of the nonprofit work that became an objective mm -hmm. and i felt like the, the the pursuit that musical pursuit had had a, a sense of depth it gave it some purpose that i really could back as as i guess sort of part of my life's work absolutely you know? and i never would have 
past the regular people getting into it, I don't think I would have delved that deeply into the subject, you know? Right. I think he right. pulled a lot of us down that road, you know? Kept yeah. things PG and, and, and family oriented, which really helped me, you know, navigate the waters of like these big shows. And mm -hmm. you're doing something like the Bridge School Benefit, you know, you're, you're hanging out with a lot of really iconic people, but at the same time, you're doing kids shows and mm -hmm. you're, you're doing things that are, that are pretty altruistic. And I think that that added a balance to it for me that, that made the whole thing a lot easier to navigate and, and stay grounded, you know? Yes, absolutely. And, and like how, how great to, like you said, it's pretty punk rock and it, it is, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, just to, to uh -huh. go in the direction that, yeah, sure. It might not like be the direction that people would think that you would go in, but it's the right thing to do. And I think it's like huge that that plat, you know, that that Jack and you all are using this platform that you have to do really great things. Um, yeah, that, that's you know. the way I see it. I mean, it's always interesting to get his perspective or another person's perspective. So it's, it's hard to say. It just feels natural for him, I think. But mm -hmm. from my lens, I, I see a lot of courage in anybody kind of taking a stand that mm -hmm. that might not sitting at the table in the lunchroom with not not trying to sit at the cool kids table per se, yes. you know, yes. just because it's a cool kids table. Maybe sort of picking the table where they 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 feel right or something feels right about that. That sort of notion creatively really speaks to me, you know, when in L.A., mm -hmm. it seems like a lot of people really want to sit at the cool people's table or if, if there's a seat opens up, they're psyched, you know, it. it right. Uh, <laughs> that's just sort of the mentality I, I, I kind of feel like I see not in a bad way. We all yeah. look, we all the hard part for, for for being if you want to make music like a professional thing is people have to want to hear what you do. People mm -hmm. are going to, you know, you have to, you have to make the rent happen. Mm -hmm. And, and, and unfortunately gaining popularity, getting clicks or views or whatever is, is essential to, yes. you know, to, to, to selling to... your art, you know? Yeah. So right. I don't begrudge anybody for doing what they have to do, you know? But it's but, amazing. It's amazing yeah, when yeah. you can do both, when you figure yeah, out yeah. a way to do both, right? That's yeah. that yeah, in it's itself. Natural. It's natural. It's not like on stage, you're like consciousness, we're all one. And then backstage, they're screaming at the caterer or right. they're not that, you know, they're, they treat their band unkindly, you know, mm -hmm. you, you can also see that as like a, as a hustle, you know, and, yes. and it's refreshing when I'm, when I'm lucky enough to be around people that sort of live an ethos that's, I think, cool and legitimate and soulful. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I can attest to that too, just having, um, having been around so many, you know, I, I'm friends with a lot of drummers, but in the, in the, pro, in the, um, in the time that I've spent with you all and meeting bandmates and, um, and people on tour, there is, there are different vibes in every camp. Right. And yeah. so, you know, you, when you are out with Jack and the band, it's you're you're all just fantastic humans, which is a huge deal. And you know, I'm sure it makes your touring life much easier than it could, it could be. 
Um, oh my God. Yeah. I mean, so honestly, like if you're thrust, like in my mind, what happened to me was I went from guy playing really offbeat clubs, indie bands, whatever, like bands that sounded like Nick Cave and the Tinder Sticks, bands mm -hmm. that sounded like Bad Brains, mm -hmm. different singer songwriters into, you know, getting to work with Jack and all of a sudden being thrust into some big places. It can easily throw somebody in terms of, um, how they behave, what mm -hmm. their sense of self-importance, you know. Um, it was really grounding to be around a dude that was like definitely a family person, definitely not. And it goes not just for Jack, but Zach and Marilo as well. And the whole camp where they, they just stayed themselves. That was like an adamant sort of ethos, you know. Mm -hmm. That yeah. I definitely that was definitely a powerful message in, in keeping your feet on the ground and, and being, um, honest. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It is, you know, your life has a lot to do with the people that you surround yourself with. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Your quality absolutely. of life. Absolutely. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to leave without talking about what you have coming up because we all want to, you know, follow along with what you're doing. And I know that you're heading out on tour um, with Jack and the band fairly soon, right? You'll be actually you're coming through my area this summer, I saw, which um, is what popped up for me. And I was like, oh, yay. I can't wait to see you guys. <laughs> yeah. Bring the squadron. I want to see you guys. Yes, absolutely. So you have those tour dates, which is super exciting. Mm -hmm. And you have some things, some solo dates too, I think. I am doing, like I play stuff, like I, I have a, I have a couple of iterations of bands. So I've got a gig um, playing locally in Venice with uh, Reverend Barron, um, one of mm -hmm. my favorite singer songwriters, uh, Danny Garcia, like a pro skater, really great songwriter. And then the really cool band called Hello Forever. They feel like kind of like an Edward Sharp sort of cool Topanga vibe. I'm really looking mm -hmm. forward to that. But I've been doing a lot of tracking right here. Just people send me music and you just put drums. You know, I've been collaborating. I got to track some drums here for Jack and, and Paula for a really beautiful song called If Ever. Mm -hmm. um, I'm working on some stuff with Mason Jennings. I've gotten to work with Matt Costa. Um, people send me stuff and I record, you know, and, and, and that's been, or just producing different artists and that's been fun too. I've got a side business where I sell these really cool drum dampeners, which keeps me really busy as well. And, and it's fun. I interact with drummers. I, I probably totally relate to you the way yes. you're interacting with drummers on a, yeah. <laughs> on a work level. That's been, that's been fun. Like all of a sudden meeting a bunch of cool drummers from, from, all over the world buying these things and so that's been challenging but fun so i love that and where where can someone uh find you if they want to check those out well this product called roots eq and we do cloth drum dampeners and we've got a little shopify site or if they if people want to stop by revival drum shop or pro drum we sell them and i just over the years you know with different dynamics either in the studio people a lot of times they're asking me to put t-shirts on the drums or tape up the drums to get mm -hmm. a certain sound or just or just take out some of the high frequencies and 
none of the products I saw exactly did what I needed, you know, or mm-hmm. I could, you know, you could, but you're stuck with it. You're, you've got a bunch of stuff taped on your drums and maybe one time you wanted something open and one time you wanted like a tea towel sound. So me and my friend, Matt Smith came up with a design that, that works really well and people, people seem to really like it. And so we, we get more requests than what we can keep up with. So that's been fun. We make it right here. So right now that the, the supply train from overseas has been, has been compromised obviously for the situation, but we, we hand make our stuff here. And so, so great. It, yeah. So we're able to just keep things flowing. So that's been fun too. That's amazing, Adam. And I will put all that information in the YouTube description and in the show notes on the podcast platform so everyone can check that out and follow along with you on instagram and check out a show that's coming through their area too yeah definitely so yeah i'll be at the venice west on march 16th it's a really great club that's that's opened up and and a lot of good bands go through there and and i'm always putting dates on instagram and things like that so it's really good to do your podcast i've enjoyed I've listened to three or four others and I can't wait to just dive in and and check all those out. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on today. And I can't wait to see you soon. Yeah. See you in Boston. Absolutely. All right. Right Take care, Adam. Bye. Have a nice day. Bye. You too. Thank you for tuning in today. Join us each Tuesday for new episodes of Sarah Hagen Backstage.